most people at some point in their lives will be vulnerable to this kind of thing. So whether they join or not depends on whether they come in contact with a high control group like the 12 tribes. It's more a matter of luck than bad judgment. Hello, hello everyone and welcome on the edge. You might be thinking, Andrew sounds different today. And I'm not doing that thing where I talk in the third person because I've become a lunatic. I was just sort of saying what you might be thinking because I sound different. And that's because I have come back to my family home for a few days in London because I am doing some interviews in person. Um, so, you know, where, where I actually live is a couple of hours away from London and I can't really ask people to come out there. So people come to London and it's a pleasure being back, but I don't have my microphone. So I'm just using my phone for this and then trying to make the audio better. I have no idea how it's going to sound, but that's not what you're all here gathered for today. What you're here for is to hear from Tim Elliott, uh, an investigative journalist at the Sydney Morning Herald. And he has an original true crime podcast called Inside the Tribe. So I do recommend you give that a listen. It's fascinating. It's about a young Sydney couple who disappeared for 13 years. When I say Sydney, I should just, I mean, I mean the city that's in Australia, not, not just like a couple where somebody's called Sydney or something. Because I know some Sydneys myself and that's Sydney with a C. Anyway, this Sydney couple disappeared for 13 years into a secretive Christian fundamentalist sect called the 12 tribes and were hidden in different locations around the world their story is insane the tribes is headquartered in north carolina but has communities around the world including in honiton near exeter that's in the uk they have been investigated by the fbi german authorities and the new south wales police for child abuse labor violations medical neglect alleged murder and burying stillborn babies on their rural properties in australia it is just the most mad podcast, mad story, really strange, weird tribe, the 12 tribes. Um, so I hope that this is of interest to you and Tim's a fascinating speaker and has an Australian accent. And he even went in to a studio to do this, um, a studio in Sydney, that is, to do this with me remotely. So it's going to sound and look great uh, if you want to you know, check it out on YouTube as well. Uh, big episodes, as always, are coming up. Uh, Frida Weisel, who left the Hasidic Jewish community, has a different view on it from a lot of the other um, Hasidic Jewish people have. She has more of a balanced, you know, both sides kind of thing. And it's really interesting to hear from her. We're going to really find out what goes on inside that very secretive cult. But now you're on the edge of the 12 tribes with Tim Elliott. Tim, how did you first come across the 12 tribes? Hi, Andrew. How are you? Um, look, uh, how did I first come across them? I was writing a story for... I work for a magazine called Good Weekend, which is the Saturday magazine for the Sydney Morning Herald. And I, I had previously done little newsy pieces on this group called the 12 tribes. I'd been contacted by a man called Matt Klein, who had had a horrible experience with them and basically lost his family to the group. And... In 2013, he got back to me. I'd already done stories with him. He got back to me and said, hey, I've got this amazing story development with the 12 tribes. They've just been, it's just been discovered they've been burying the bodies of stillborn babies on their properties illegally. So unregistered stillborn babies um, in the bush and just in shallow graves. And I thought, uh, okay, um, looks like 
this group's gone even nuttier and even more pathological and um, it needed some more attention. So I started writing about them again and I thought that was the end of it. And then in 2018, I got another text from a random person saying things have got even, you know, I've heard again about them having stillborn babies in the bush there and burying them and other stuff and can you look into it again and so that's how I got stuck back in. Wow, so the stillborn babies, is there any suggestion that there was like something nefarious going on there in terms of, I mean, were were they stillborn of natural causes? Yeah, they the group has really bad uh, diet um, for no particularly good reasons just because they um, have certain dietary restrictions and they also don't believe in modern medicine so they don't really visit hospitals or have prenatal care. So they tend to have bad outcomes with uh, childbearing and, yeah, they have – this is one of their many issues uh, in the group. Yes, completely, completely insane and, and, and horrible. And I suppose if that, that happens, you're supposed to what, get in touch with the authorities. You don't just bury them in the garden. Or yeah, whatever. well, you meant to – you meant for a start. I mean, I think you meant to if you're having – repeat. This is something all over the world that this group also has – it's not just in Australia. The 12 tribes are all around the world, in France, Spain, Argentina, America, you name it, UK. Um, so it, this is a familiar problem to the group and one of the reasons that authorities kind of look into them. Do we have an idea of how large they are, how many members they have? Oh, they're, they're quite a small... I mean, they're probably only about 3,000, 4,000 members worldwide, but they're very widespread and they have... Uh, they're particularly... Um, malignant uh, and high control, high control group that really exert serious coercive control over their members. And so they're quite unusual in that. Um, they're unusual also in this day and age in that they're a little bit like the Amish, times about a thousand. They're <laughs> so in- incredibly patriarchal, which is, of course, quite um, increasingly archaic and strange in our world. And uh, they're out of time. They're out of step in a way that most of these high control groups aren't. I mean, they're really over the top, quite extreme. Okay, there's a few thousand of them. So we're talking smaller than something like Scientology, but it's still thousands and thousands of people uh, who are being you know, abused, families torn apart and all these kinds of things. What you notice as well is this long tail. So they have a massive turnover, uh, turnover of members and a lot of people being left by the wayside. So what we find is... Um, when we've done this podcast, the amount of people have got onto us with with incredible stories uh, uh, post release uh, has been amazing. So we never we're just getting in contact with people all the time, with um, which is kind of fueling bonus episodes and pushing the story forward. What kind of I guess what what are some of the sort of most shocking stories or the kinds of things that you're hearing? Well, they're very. Um, I just find what I find well. Number one, what I find most moving is the way that. Families are split up often, so um, our podcast is a is a nice narrative podcast. So it tells a story from, you know, it starts in one place and it follows a, a couple, lovely Sydney, young Sydney couple who who got sucked into this group and spent thirteen years in the group and then got spat out the other side. But in the process of that, they had children inside the group and they were brought up inside and they got really badly mistreated, the children. As a result of that, they became very um, disaffected with not just the group, but um, 
with their parents. Young children in there get severely beaten. And it's part of their theology. The 12 tribes theology is extremely strict corporal punishment, not just from parents, but from any adult. Okay, so it can have a really bad effect on children. And what you see is the splitting up of families, um, children staying inside even, and then parents escaping and the children choosing to stay or, or vice versa. And so that was one of the most affecting moving parts of doing the podcast. I found that families were being split up and they couldn't see their children again. And um, that, I don't know, as a, not I was going to say as a parent, but I hate that phrase, as a human being, I found that really, really sad. And um, also found the, the ability of the group to mess with people's minds and affect their self-esteem. Again, that sounds really... Um, glib, but the way they look at themselves and feel about themselves and the dread they begin to feel about the world and the control they hold over people is quite, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Should we go a little bit into, is that young Sydney couple, is that Rose and Mark? Should we go a bit into Yes, that's it. Rose and Mark, mm. yeah. Well, Rose and Mark, okay, it's a really typical story about who to, how, to, how people get introduced to a group like this and how they stay and why they stay. Rosenmark had just got back from overseas. She's a really smart, curious woman. She speaks French and Spanish, English. Um, he's he's a Kiwi, lovely guy, lovely, gentle, idealistic couple. They were back in Sydney uh, in 1996. They just got back from overseas, and so they're a bit of a loose end. They hadn't really picked up work yet. They'd lost contact with their old friends in Sydney. They went to a festival um, in Sydney, like a it was like a community fair and they were wandering around Mark went for a wander and this woman came up and sort of said to Mark oh hey you look like you need a home and um, he was like yeah kind of I think I do you know like I'd like (laughs) to belong to something I just he's sort of in the middle of two worlds at that time and she said, look, come out to our community on the outskirts of Sydney. We have this lovely farm and every Friday night we play music and serve up lovely food, organic food. And it's really nice. And just come out and suss it out. I'm sure you'd love it. So he went out there with Rose and their children and had a lovely Friday night. And they all sat around playing guitars and eating lovely music, um, eating lovely food. And, and then they went back home. And the next Friday night they came back and... All the members of the group, the 12 tribes, are like, oh, we, you know, you, you, you would really fit in well here, you two. You've got a lot to offer. You know, you're amazing people. Your languages, your music skill, Mark, you're, you know, you're, you could really fit in. You got, we'd love you to stay, you know, and Mark was like, oh, okay, well. And then the process is they just kept on coming back every Friday night for a, a month or two until they thought, you know, this is kind of cool. We we feel like we belong here. These are our people. And so they stayed. And that's how they joined this group. And then over time, they slowly began to, it's a little bit like Scientology. You don't step into the most extreme, um, eccentric, exotic, um, damaging form of their theology straight away. You get slowly introduced to their bizarre beliefs over time. So, because if you if you got <laughs> if they told you straight away some of the things this group believed the twelve tribes believed and you'd run the other way in a million miles. So over time, slowly, the more that Mark and Rose began to feel accepted, like they belonged, like they had new friends, a community, 
the more of themselves they were forced to leave behind or they were encouraged to leave behind. Stop communicating with your friends. You know, they don't, they're not, they haven't got your best interests in heart or don't talk so much to your family anymore. You know, they're, they're not looking out for you. And so over time you, they got isolated in the group. And so it's people, I, I find it really annoying when people say, why do these people join these groups? It's just not that simple. It's, it's, um, they're not stupid people. Mark and Rose are idealistic. That was their only crime. And so they, you know, over the years, they became more and more enmeshed with this group and their bizarre beliefs and spent 13 years in there. And eventually, you know, they got to the stage where their family tried to get Rose out, tried to extract her, and the, the cult found out and started to fly Rose and the family overseas to escape um, because Rose's family would come over from France, uh, her sister, and say, right, and brother would say, right, we're seeing her. We want to see Rose now. We're, we're getting her out. And the group would say, oh, Rose and Mark aren't here anymore. They're in, they're in Spain. And so that's what they would do. They, they shuffle people around to avoid them getting taken by their friends and f- taken back by their friends and family. It's just... It's a fascinating, compelling story of these two who went through a story unlike anything else I've ever heard and then emerged um, in, you know, in one piece, um, kind of. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing how many of the things, it's almost like I'm nodding, like each thing that Scientology or Nixium or any of these other cults, it's like, okay, the shunning is there, the shunning of family members and isolation. And I think, you know, the boiling frog analogy that you, you very slowly boil a frog uh, rather because yep. it would jump out if you just put all the hot water at yep. once. It's why Tom Tom Cruise always, if you ask him what Scientology actually is, he just says, "Well, go find out. You got to go find out," and yeah. never actually tells you what it is. Because if he did, you'd run a million miles. Um, I guess how much can you tell me about the the sort of horrors that Rose and Mark went through? I'm always aware when I interview another podcaster, they don't want to give away everything because people should go and watch the podcast. But uh, people tend to anyway. I find, and also all the commenters get really angry uh, when when which which. I think it's mad because I understand you've got to hold some stuff back but the commenters are like oh he's not going to tell me I'm not going to go on his podcast no 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 I totally no I get it well look where do you where do I begin one of the one of the most one of the most sinister aspects is the way that the group gets inside they use they use guilt um they're absolute masters of using mind manipulation and guilt to make people second guess their own judgment. Okay, and this this example is that child discipline is really strong in the group. You must hit your children if they disobey you. And I'm talking, you know, really get stuck into them and smack them repeatedly with a stick. Now, if one parent, Mark at one stage found it really hard to do that, Rose at one stage was like, no, we've got to follow the rules completely and hit our children um, as is prescribed in the in the child training manual. They've got a whole book about beating their children. And so what they do is they played with both of their heads and set Mark against Rose. And so they were like, Mark, you've got to tell us when Rose isn't following the rules entirely and Rose, you've got to inform on Mark. 
uh, to, so the list is the leaders talking to them. So it really set the, the two people at odds with one another, Mark and Rose. And this is despite the fact that when they entered, they were deeply in love with one another and the most sweet, sweet, most loving couple. And so to see those two people get, you know, set set against one another and how they got split up into informing on one another was really, really interesting. Psychologically, I found really, really fascinating. And so we go through that process in quite a lot of detail and, and it's just the way they take us inside what they were thinking and how this happened to them and how they found themselves against their best, in, you know, you know, they would never have thought that they could possibly do this when they entered and they found themselves informing on one another. And, wow. you know, yeah, incredible. The psychology of it was just so fascinating. I love, I love that as just, yeah, as you say, as a psychological experiment, and I, I can imagine people listening now thinking, gosh, what, you know, could I get to a point where my wife or my husband, you know, how long or how much psychological torture would it take for me to start informing on my, my other half? But I guess, as you say, we can all, we could all maybe get there. Or, or do you think anyone can get sort of taken in by a cold like this? I think it, um, the thing, I think most people, at some point in their lives, I don't care what, even the most resilient, um, self-confident person at some stage in their lives will be vulnerable to this kind of thing. So whether they join or not um, depends on whether they come in contact with a high control group like the 12 tribes at that point in their lives at which they're most vulnerable. So it's, it's more a matter of luck than bad judgment. Really, it comes down to, yeah, it comes down to bad luck and being, you know, that phrase, being in the wrong place at the wrong time and coming across one of these groups when you're most open to their messaging or most vulnerable. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com heretics and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn.com slash heretics to learn more. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. 
On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on what could go right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. I think um, I, I just I ask myself this all the time and I change how I feel about it. Um, and I, I think like I, I agree with you that it's not stupid people that get into these things. Uh, but I wonder if it, there are certain things going on. And I feel like I couldn't get hooked by this particular thing because I just have this I'm averse to religion. But I'm sure there are other things that are non-religious where I would get taken in by. Well, one of the you know, one of the I've got a. it's really interesting because you know, Rose is multilingual, really smart woman. Uh, there's another guy we talked to at length in the podcast who played a role in called Matt Klein, who I talked about earlier. But he he played Matt played a role in in helping Matt and Rose escape from the group. Matt is a chemical scientist, chemical engineer. He's not a silly guy. He's not a dumb guy. He joined because, for example, one reason he joined is because his wife was really into it. So his wife wanted to belong. She was vulnerable. Because he loved her at that time, he was like, okay, we'll, we'll give it a go. So the reasons people joined are not – it's just not as straightforward as saying these people are stupid, they're suckers, um, they're gullible, they, they get what they deserve. It's a little bit like it really frustrates me when people say that because you wouldn't say to someone, say a woman in an abusive relationship, in a domestic violence relationship uh, situation, you wouldn't say – you're such an idiot, you know, why you stay in this relationship? You should just leave, you know. It's not that easy. You know, guys can exert coercive control over their partners. It's In Australia, we've got a, a law about coercive control coming in. It's a very powerful and really um, overdue law about how men can exert control in several different ways, monetarily, psychologically, sexually, everything. I think that's just coming from the, the UK. Yeah, and it's the same with a group. It's the same with cults. So to say, you know, to write people off as being silly for joining and staying is just, it's not very insightful. I do wonder if there is uh, a need to feel a bit special sometimes. I wonder if there, and that can happen when you feel you're most vulnerable and that's what, you know, you're at your yeah. lowest point and you need to feel special. Because there are some people I know who are, you know, friends of mine now, but ex-Scientologists. And I think they, the part of being in Scientology, for example, or I guess any cult, is that feeling a bit better than other people, or being lifted up. So maybe there is a bit of that. Oh, definitely. There's a sense of, I mean, when you join, one of the most common things that groups like this will do is love bomb you. So you rock up and... First couple of Friday nights, for example, with Rose and Mark, was like, you are, you guys just are fantastic. You're unreal. Look at you guys. You're doing so well. You're so smart. How many languages can you speak? Oh, look at your, you know, Mark's a drummer. My God, Mark, you're, so, you're such a great musician. You got, you know. So love bombing is all about making you feel special and making you feel like you have a lot to contribute and making you feel like like you're above the rest and and valued so and everybody wants that who doesn't want to feel that way so yeah. it's easy to fall prey to that 
Do you think, with, with this cult in particular, but I suppose all cults, do you think that's a conscious ploy by the people woke up trying to recruit new people? And, and if it is, does that imply that, you know, maybe they're not... I, what, I mean, what I mean to say is that I feel like if they're true believers, they shouldn't have to use sort of psychological tactics to get somebody in. So the people who are trying to get them in, what are they, what's going through their heads? <laughs> um, I don't exactly know. It's a really good question. <laughs> Um, I think they want adherence. They want to have more people get in behind them and join the group and so their group becomes bigger and so they get more power and, you know, the people at the top of the pyramid I think are driven by those old um, human traits um, and needs to feel important themselves. So they want to be in control. They want to have people do what they say. They want to feel like they're the top of the heap. So... In many reasons, the, it's the allure of power. I think they want to get more people doing what they tell them. You were saying that it's, uh, you know, the 12 tribes and that they're in all sorts of different places, obviously not just Australia. Um, is there one sort of, you know, the L. Ron Hubbard? Is there the, a leader or a founder? Yeah, there was a man called Yonek, who was an incredible character himself. He, um, Eugene Spriggs, he was born in Chattanooga. Grew up there uh, in the 60s and 70s. He was a high school counsellor, joined the army, dropped out of the army, became a preacher, um, ended up working in a carnival as a carnival barker, running a ride there, um, had a, a religious epiphany on the beach in Santa Barbara and basically started up his own youth ministry. And that just grew and grew. And then as it grew in America, he found himself beca- basically becoming more well, clear from the podcast, more megalomaniacal and um, twisting what began as what be, what began began as a kind of a quite a uh, a well-meaning youth ministry to help kids into a, a worldwide business. <laughs> really, it was a bit, they're very they're wealthy. You know, their groups they make a lot of money. I mean, in Australia alone, they've got like you know tens of you know they probably have about twenty million dollars of real estate. But yes, he he died though. He died during COVID. So right at the moment, it was in twenty twenty. So right at the moment, it's in a period of flux where they're trying to find another leader. I think it's hard to figure out what's going on. We are finding it hard to get information on that. But um, yes, it, he, again, like many groups, there was a very charismatic leader at the top. And I suppose his his ideas. I, he reminds me a bit of um, Jim Jones and the whole James Jonestown. Sorry. Uh, with this it's like social utopia was that what it was supposed to be yeah he wanted to recreate the um christian community as it existed in the first century ad so before um you know when basically christians went out into the world uh they didn't have any belongings they forsook their family um and their physical belongings and they just lived one another lived in communal setting and talked about god and preached etc 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 and devoted their lives to god he believed that the mainstream church corrupted all that introduced hierarchies and um a, a culture of material possessions and he wanted to Turn, turning everything back. So when he, he basically got his believers to step back in time, essentially to a period in which Christianity was much more, it was all pared back. And and then over time, it sort of morphed into a millenarian kind of belief about the end of the world. And uh, basically one of their, cult, their core beliefs is that their mission in life, their mission in the world is to raise an army of purebred 
boy soldiers, 144,000 strong army that will go out on Armageddon and fight Satan. So that's their, that's their mission. There's just so much stuff. It's like this huge amalgamation of just everything else. I was really intrigued to learn that, uh, I think it was the first episode you mentioned, the, shof- the shofar. Uh, you know, I'm from a Jewish background. and The shofar is a sort of, it's like a, is it like a ram's ear Ram's thing? horn, yeah, they, they blow in the morning. It's a, we- it's yeah. a really weird mix of um, Judaism and Christianity, yes. Yeah, go on. It's so bizarre. I guess because yeah. it's all Old Testament stuff, isn't it? So it's all that yeah. mix, mix of that. So, And I remember I used to try and like, make a noise from that. I, I did that a few times as a kid. Uh, it's, it's completely impossible. <laughs> really? Yeah, unless you've got lungs like, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like mad lungs and mad, and, the mouth, and it sort of made my li- lips tickle. But, you know, but that's like, I've never said my lips tickle, but they tickled. Um, and, and we did that. And then they have bar mitzvahs. I could not believe that. And, I, you know, I still remember my bar mitzvah, which was which I think I'm an atheist now. I think it was the whole thing was mad. Uh, but it's funny to think of these people having bar mitzvahs. But also, they, I guess because they're like back in the first century, uh, they've been accused of like anti-Semitism because yeah. the big thing for them is that the Jews killed Jesus. Yeah, and they've got <laughs> – it's very confused. They also um, – they have a – and it's a really eclectic uh, group of beliefs and practices that this guy, um, Eugene Spriggs, or Yonick as he's known, because part of the group, as you'd known from listening, it, it, every, every member when they get baptized gets a new name, a new Hebrew name which is quite dangerous in itself, so that they lose their identity in the outside world. So a lot of people have trouble tracking them when they enter. It's like, where did, where did Andrew Gold go? Oh, he's now called Israel and he's overseas somewhere, but we don't exactly know. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it's an eclectic kind of mix, a salad of weird beliefs. Um, it's fascinating. Yeah, no TV, no contact with friends and family, of course. that Again, that's something I've seen, in, especially like Hasidic Judaism. Uh, they, they do that. The TV is not allowed. There's a big thing. Uh, outside information. And total submission to husbands, uh, that's, 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 again, quite common, isn't it? And that, So how did that work, for example, for uh, Rose and Mark? Well, it was really, again, really interesting. I said, how did you guys, because they have a really loving um, equal relationship, I mean, these guys are just the. You look at them and go, beautiful couple, ideal couple, um, equal partners in life, got each other back the whole time. And I said, how did you ever think that um, that was like? How did you do that? What when Rose? When you were? How did you find yourself in this position where you started to look at Mark as you know the head of the family, having headship over the family? And she was like, well, I never thought that yeah, I could always express my beliefs to Mark and Mark would always listen. So in our household, it wasn't necessarily such a big deal. It was like Mark always loved me and I always loved him. And so our relationship was essentially the same. Uh, we had an equal exchange. I think it depends on the, the, the family you're in. Some of the families where women were either physically or emotionally more manipulated and forced to submit um, I think that would have been a much more malignant um, feature. You know, like you were saying, the separation thing and being isolated and distanced from outside information, that no TV, no books, no radio, no magazines, no contact with family on the outside, all this sort of stuff sort of happens slowly, like I was saying before, but over time it's the it's the frog in boiling water. They find themselves isolated. And they start to have, you know, the, more of the madder 
rules, things I'm thinking about, you know, only eating with chopsticks, uh, have, only using two sheets of toilet paper. Um, and, and again, so what for, for the average couple, or, or we, can, we can talk about Mark and Rose, what are the daily, apart from sort of dobbing one another in, uh, reporting on one another, what are the daily tribulations that eventually make people like them need to leave? The, well, the, one of the things is work. So they are made to work their guts out um, for free, not a, not a penny. They will work 10, 12, 15-hour days regularly, like 15-hour days. They own This group owns bakeries, demolition crews, painting crews, um, you name it, They restaurants, cafes. So they get their members to work for free in all of these enterprises. So, of course, the business is highly profitable because they're not paying any wages. <laughs> and, oh. and so these people leave at the end of their 12, you know, 10 years of being stuck in this group with no money. Um, so, and they, at the time, they think, well, living for one another. And that's why, again, it's really well-intentioned. But after a while, they realize they're being manipulated on a supersonic scale and they come out with nothing. And so, at the moment, we um, are trying to organize a wage claim, essentially, for some of these people who have come out with no money and they f- now realize, my God, I contributed you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of, of uh, man hours, uh, work hours to this group and I've seen nothing. And then are they also, I, I imagine they're sleep deprived and are they also being you know, physically and, and, and verbally uh, beaten? Yeah, they they they're sleep deprived. Okay, I mean, yes, they work so hard they have no time to themselves. This is another classic feature of high control groups. They're made to work so hard during the week, and then when they get back, they're made to do farm duties. They live on a farm here in Australia, and but also have other properties. So when they get even when they get back from a grueling day, they will be looking after another family's children. They will be tending. Uh, uh, the fields, they will be making sure, they'll be homeschooling, for example. They will be doing all sorts of extra um, work, work, you know. So they never have a minute. One of the saddest things some people said to me in there were, I never had a moment to think to myself. So I never had a my own interior life. I was always consumed with working, contributing to the group, um, giving myself to the group and other people. I never had that interior time to think and sit and be me just this is a rhetorical question but i suppose um what if somebody said well well you know they've joined it and there's a bit of you know bad stuff going on but why does it really matter like why why does it matter that these people exist why does it matter that people are taken advantage of um well i guess it matters because we're all human and that if someone's getting abused and taken advantage of and um, physically and mentally um, uh, manipulated, then that matters, I guess. And and children especially don't have a choice. They're, some of these children are born into the group. I think it matters that kids who don't have a, a say in it are brought up in a group that's highly manipulative and um, a really you know, pathological group. I think that matters to me. And also, they're, I mean, on the quite an, in a concrete sense, they're breaking various laws. They... They're, they've been inducted. They've been indu- in the in the U.S. The FBI and around the world, the FBI, German um, authorities, and New South Wales Australian police have all looked into this group and investigated this group for everything from labour violations, child abuse, to alleged murder, all sorts of stuff. So we're, 
you know, the, around the world, yes, there's a lot of damage being done. What do we know about the alleged murder? Uh, there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on there. Look, it's hard to talk. Um, it's a bit sensitive and hard to talk in details. But in there was one case of a woman who in 2010 was going to report one of the elders in the States for abuse, sexual abuse. Because as we've discovered in the podcast, there was um, extensive sexual abuse of children and also, as a sidebar, uh, bestiality. So these... Uh, this is going off piste a bit, but the boys, there's really strict sexual apartheid in the group. Boys can't talk to girls. It's very off, incredibly Old Testament. You cannot touch or talk to a woman you, that you are not betrothed to. And so often young boys who grow up in the group um, are sexually frustrated and there's been lots of instances of bestiality in the group. Yeah, oh it's extraordinary. Um Anyway, I went off track then. What, what, what did you ask me, Andrew? No, was that's that you know that does paint a picture of you know uh, I think you know the reason I ask, and I guess the reason I ask why why it matters with the cults is because you know I spent so long talking about Scientology, and then people or, or other cults, of course, as well, and then people sort of say, well, why is it so bad? You know, and sometimes it's hard to actually put into words, and I think we need some of those images, uh, like you just well, said, yeah. to sort of. But, it's yeah. bad because. People, bestiality is not a great thing. Gets you know, um, abusing children, beating children is not a great thing. Um, Labor forcing people to work for no money is not a great thing. I mean, there's all sorts of um, splitting up families is the, one of the most destructive things they do, and that's. I think that's worth paying attention to and trying to stop. Absolutely. No, absolutely right. And yeah, that, that was happening in, in like rural parts of, I used to live in Colombia and obviously, you know, 99.999% of Colombians never engaged in that at all, but you know, with, with, with donkeys and things and in the, the most rural places where people, you know, that, that does go on. I've seen, I've seen video clips of, of, well, you know, Vice did something on it, but, oh, uh, uh, awful. And so this woman was, was what, uh, you know, alleging sexual abuse and was so, yeah, murdered. sorry, I'll go back. So she, in 2010, there was a woman who, a woman who grew up in the cult was sexually abused allegedly by one of the elders. She went to the police and said, okay, she was brave enough to actually go and make a complaint um, said to the police, I want to um, press charges against this guy. He's an elder in the group. He abused me. Um, the, go- the 12 tribes asked her to come back in said, okay, um, can we talk this over? Let's come to an agreement. Um, and she met up with them in one of their, um, I think it was in Connecticut. I can't remember exactly. Went in there, had a talk with the elders. Uh, they tried to essentially shut her up, give her hush money, uh, make her go away. She said, no, I'm, I'm intent on um, pursuing these charges. And she left the group after a long conversation, drove about 40 minutes down the road. Her brakes failed and she drove into oncoming traffic. So, yeah, this, 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 there's been a few very suspicious car accidents with this group. Um, that's not the only one. Wow. The, here in Australia, there was a, a leader who called Hans Arnicke, um, he was an American who came to Australia in 1996 to set up the group, 1994, sorry. And he he set up uh, uh, the 12 tribes here, did a really good job, bought a lot of property for them, um, organized all their um, religious exemptions for tax, et cetera, et cetera. He left about um, 10 years ago um, disillusioned. Um, 
He then spoke to the press about his thoughts about the group and severely criticised Australian Australian television program called A Current Affair. And then he was murdered by someone about eight months later who was known to him very closely and who had been a part of the group as well. So he was murdered and burnt in his house. His house was burnt down. Oh. Yeah. So there's a few interesting things that happen in this group if you speak out against them. I haven't been threatened so far, but um, I think it's most uh, dangerous for people who leave to then go and criticise the group. Things seem to happen to them. I see. That's interesting because that was my next question. If you ever, you know, do you have to sort of sleep with one eye open? No, I'm, look, I, it's weird. I, they seem to hit out at their own people. That apostasy in this group is it's the, often with a lot of religious groups, obviously, but with them, it's just, you know, they tell their, if you tell their adherents that if you leave, you're going to um, become a prostitute, that you won't have any money anymore, that you will burn in the lake of fire for all eternity, that you will end up selling your body on the street, that you'll die in a car accident. Most tellingly, that's one of the things that one of the particular um, threats that they say can happen to you. You'll turn gay, you know, as if that's the worst thing in the world that can ever happen. Um, so all these things that you you can't leave, otherwise all these horrible things are going to happen to you. So it's I think it, people who are part of the group are kept there by these the thought of all these horrible things that will happen if they leave. Yeah, so they're sort of stuck because they believe it, I suppose. It's, well, you know, the boiling frog analogy. Yeah, they're, 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 they're terrified, in. especially people who grow up there, young kids who've only ever been raised on 12 tribes, homeschooled in the 12 tribes community, who've only ever heard 12 tribes theology, who have only ever been exposed to that. Yeah, it's a terrifying concept. They believe it. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Have you have you heard stories of how people have managed to leave? Yeah, with great difficulty and huge psychological upheaval. Um, we have some remarkable stories of survival. Um, Suvav is an American uh, guy who that we talked to at length in the in the pod, and who we have a few other episodes with, because one of our great interests in the show is seeing how people actually physically get out and how they then survive and remake their lives on the outside. And interestingly enough, we've got a great bonus episode, um, which I won't tell too much about, but it's fascinating about how one woman called Tor Massey, who was an American, a young American lady who um, was very um, senior, a rel- relative of, of one of their most senior families in the group, she had to escape by, I won't tell you anymore, but by throwing her bags off the, roof of, off the roof of one of their compounds in the middle of the night so that people wouldn't hear them, um, you know, sort of carrying heavy luggage through the house. It, it's, a, it's hard to explain, but they had to, all this subterfuge and uh, cloak and dagger stuff to try and get out of the group. Um, it's quite fascinating. Yeah, and it, well, because there's a very real danger that if you're caught doing it, they could actually kill you. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that what, what I think what they would more normally do is 
is force you to stay and make you feel, make you suffer a kind of soul death, you know, to tell you how evil you are and how you have to repent and, um, and that, yeah, it's a kind of mental, psychological um, death that they impose on people. What's, um, what's the latest with them? I, I, I'm trying to imagine, are they just out in the Australian outback? They're out in the American countryside just hanging about? No, they, they, they live like, look, if you were to go out to one of their properties, like they have a, they had a, a, a garage sale recently at one of their um, a bakery on the edge of Sydney. So their their farm that they own and many of two of their best properties, their biggest properties, are just on the outskirts of Sydney in beautiful country. Only about an hour from Sydney, from the centre of Sydney. So it's very it's, um, it's pretty central. And they own a beautiful farm out there where they grow all this organic food, um, raise their children. Just down the road from there is a bakery which um, they, is one of their best businesses. And so they raise a lot, they um, bake a lot of food there. They have, it's very popular in the area. They also run um, stalls at markets and they have a cafe in, a very successful cafe in another town called Katoomba just outside of Sydney. So they are certainly pretty good with money and they, uh, of course, make a lot of money because they don't pay wages <laughs> as well. Um Sorry, I lost again. I lost your track of. I lost track of where I began with that sentence. Just where they, just where they are. It was, it's really interesting. I'm just trying to imagine what they're up to, and and if if you know, are people not going into their bakery saying like, "Hey, I refuse to buy stuff from you because I know who you are." No, well, yes, some t- some people do, and increasingly they do because um, they listen to podcasts like ours, or they read stories that I've done before, or they hear through local people. Uh, th- you know, twelve tribes aren't all they appear to be because on the surface they appear to be really benign lovely hippie-ish kind of people and yeah they come across as totally harmless uh gentle hippie-ish kind of community and so a lot of people take them at face value um and they're not running around saying that we beat our children and manipulate people's minds and separate families (laughs) so um so a lot of people come into contact with them in a in an urban setting where they have a stall at a market or they, they run a mobile cafe at a big music festival and they, they appear to be totally normal. God, and where, where are we at with, you know, FBI and German police, Australian police? Where are we at with that? Well, the German authorities threw them out of Germany because in Germany you cannot, you cannot hit your children under any seats against the law. So smacking your kids is uh, against the law and there was a very brave documentary maker in Germany as we, we go through in the pod who installed um, hidden cameras in one of the German communities. Wow. And, yeah, and go, and again, I'm not going to talk, but he exposed the group. Thanks to his work, they got thrown out of Germany um, and went to Czechoslovakia, I think it was, um, basically left. So that was really brave and great work from him. Um, in, the, in the States, they have been investigated there by the FBI, but they've never been able to make anything stick, mainly because it's people might come forward with an initial complaint right and say i was beaten or i've I've witnessed sexual abuse in the community um or i think something weird happened to this person and the cops will go back and the complainant will be gone they won't be or they just won't come back to the station they won't um press charge they won't support the um investigation or the cops look into it they rock up to one of the communities and everything appears to be fine Everything above board. So it's very hard. They're a very slippery group. 
and it's very hard to make things. But here, luckily, partly because of the pod, the police have finally sent, they found human remains on one of the properties in Sydney. And they think it's um, of a young child uh, that the oh 12 tribes God. buried. Yeah, so they finally dug up some remains. That case has been referred to, they had a, a full strike force operation, Nanagai it was called, and they looked into this and they found the remains. They've sent all that to the coroner now. So we think there's going to be a coronial inquest and hopefully someone will be held account. accountable. Oh, I hope so. Is that the stillborn um, things going on? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Man, man, it's just it's just, just, just horrific. I mean, are there, do we know about anything like child murder and ch- child sacrifice and stuff like that? Uh, no, I don't think they're... Look, I think they're not into that. I think it's... Um, yeah, thank God they're not quite at that stage. Um, but, uh, yeah, they're pretty dark. I mean, the bestiality blew me away. I could not believe them. We had no idea about that until we, until we started doing the pod. And people, not just in Australia, but overseas, all these corroborating stories. And I was like, oh, my God, this is really happening in different communities. Jesus. So they were made to, the people who'd had sex with these animals, young boys, were made to go and identify the animals, kill the animals, and the animals were buried on their farms. Wait, okay, so they, wait, so they weren't supposed to be doing it according to like No, they were not stuff. supposed to be having sex with animals, so it was, it was a, a big no-no. Poor form. Man, <laughs> I guess that's happened throughout history, because I, I might be speaking ignorantly here, but I think that lots of diseases have come about that way, haven't they? Yeah, I can't, I don't think it's really meant to be going on. Interspecies um, <laughs> intercourse, <laughs> no, not healthy. <laughs> no, no. I think that's where certain like epidemics. I mean, people say, "Well, that was South Park." I'm getting my information from, but I know the character from South Park um, had sex with a that weird animal in China, and that's how South Park claimed COVID came came about. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that episode. No. Oh, uh, what's it called? A South Park. I'm going to have a look. It's like a weird animal they've got. It's like a, called like a pangolin or something. I don't know. Oh, a pangolin. Yes, yes. A pangolin was meant to be the animal that the Chinese ate in the wet market, and that's how um, that's how COVID came about. But I'm not yeah, sure whether that- they were meant to be having sex with the pangolin. <laughs> thought it was merely well, so- it was on <laughs> the pl- it was on the diet not <laughs> South Park speculated that it was uh, Stan's dad Randy who went on a trip there and, and got drunk and that's how COVID started ah uh, okay I doubt, I doubt that's what that was but yeah no awful that is awful what what would it I mean you've been involved in this whole I mean not involved in the cult but you know what I mean involved around you know writing yeah. about it and documenting it um, what, what would it mean to you to you know to bring them down do you feel optimistic about that in this in this lifetime in the, in the next few years yeah i think the i mean the podcast has made a huge impact here we've got like you know 800,000 downloads a lot of people come up to me and get in contact with me saying wow i had no idea about this group something's got to be done about this group i think our um our work on putting pressure on the cops as well um really led to them finally getting their act together and submitting these remains to the coroner and that may well be a coronial inquest and that would be great because we'd be able to find out the circumstances of that burial and if there are any other more any other children buried on those properties so to me yes it would it would mean a lot to to have the group brought to book really yes it would mean a lot how are Rose and Mark now? Have they, uh, you know, patched things up? Oh, yeah. Look, they're a beautiful couple. And I really mean, when you look at them, you just think, how the hell did these people survive this crap? How did they get through that? And really, it's a testament to who they are. And I mean, they're really, one thing that strikes you when you meet them is very, they're very gentle. 
and they're gentle with one another and they're gentle with themselves. So it's not, I think what they've managed to shed a lot of the hate that they felt uh, toward other members in the group and uh, toward the group itself and often maybe even toward themselves at various stages. So they've managed somehow to um, bring themselves together as a unit. It's quite a testament. It's, and that's part of the journey of the podcast as well and something I really love doing with it. It's a really human story to see how that happened. Yeah. Are they able to, do they reconnect with old friends and family as well? Yeah, I mean, the thing is that I want to make really clear a lot of people that we spoke to said, look, I had some of the best years of my life. This is the really interesting thing about the cult, right? I had some of the best years of my life in the group. I found a community. I found belonging. I found people who loved me and cared for me. At the same time, you know, it's a duality. It's a really complex picture. At the same time, I did things I wasn't very proud of. I, uh, I let people do things to me that um, I'm not very proud of. And I saw things I should have spoken up about. Um, so it's a really, it's a mixed picture. You know, I probably have painted a very dark picture and it is a very dark picture, but it's also important to point out that people stay for reasons that are legitimate. They enjoy it. You know, they get a lot out of it. Um, and like I said, it's a complex human picture. Yeah, that's, again, you know, Scientology and all the other cults, if they were no good, if they, they have to have some good stuff yeah. or, or people wouldn't, Go for well, exactly. If, mean, they don't, if you, if a group doesn't offer you anything, then of course you're not going to stay. This group yeah. offers people stuff that's valuable to them at that point in their lives. I used to live in Berlin, and what you were just saying describes, you know, East East Germany and, and all of that, the Soviet side, uh, perfectly. Because they've got this thing called Ostalgi, which is like a, a, a what's the word? Portman. What's it? What's Portmanteau. Yeah, portmanteau of of like East and nostalgia. So it's Ost, yeah. Ostalgie, uh because loads of people who were in the East are nostalgic about it now and they talk about how they had that sense of community, uh, everything was all together. And yes, they had to sometimes inform on one another, uh, just just like in 12 tribes. Uh, and they had to do some awful things and they weren't allowed to travel. They had no individual liberty. But a lot of them say it was better for them then. There was more, um, this is different to 12 tribes, but there was more equality between the sexes apparently and women were able to do all sorts of different jobs and things and everybody had a job. That was the whole point. Um, so they were happy. And that was really hard for me to understand living there, speaking to people and uh, getting to grips with that, you know. Yeah, that fascinating analogy. Yeah, I think it's very it's a great analogy, yeah. Well, it's uh it's it's a fascinating podcast. Uh where well, I mean I know where, but just tell us where people can go and get it. Oh, everybody everywhere, you know, Apple, Spotify, it's on Omni, it's everywhere. So you Google inside the tribe uh podcast, you'll find it. Twelve tribes. Brilliant. Will you be doing any follow ups stuff? Are you still doing it? Yeah, we oh yeah. Where there's uh, uh, an episode, another episode coming out tomorrow, which is talking about how the police have finally made some progress here in Australia about their investigation into the group. Uh, so we are pushing the story forward all the time. And if anybody out there has any information that they want to give us, um, you know, inside the tribe is going to keep on going inside the tribe oh that's well that is fascinating i love the idea uh, of you know starting a podcast where it's still ongoing some more stuff is being discovered and put out all the time so uh yeah tim thank you so much for being on the edge no thanks andrew it was great really appreciate the opportunity
Thank you, Tim Elliott, for coming on the podcast, for being on the edge. It was really fascinating speaking with him. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed his uh, lovely Australian accent and his very eloquent way of delving into the Tabol tribes. As I say, apologies again for the sound for the introduction and outro of this podcast. I'm just doing this in my family house. I don't have my microphone, my equipment and everything with me. Um, but yeah, I thought that was I thought that was great. I was fascinated by what Tim had to say. So please do support our guests by checking out Inside the Tribe, wherever you get your podcasts. It's absolutely fascinating. Stick around. Coming up next is Frida Weisel, who, I mean, she's a tour guide now of the Hasidic Jewish community in New York. She was formerly part of it herself. And she's going to be shedding a lot of light on one of the world's most secretive sects, I suppose it is. Have a lovely few days and see you very soon.